All right, good morning. It is good to be here, good to see everyone. I'm especially excited this morning. We were surprised we have some friends from Mansfield. Uh, that's, boy, another lifetime ago, back about 25 years ago when I started in ministry. I was a youth minister, and for some reason, um, those folks gave me a chance. And uh, Bruce and Melanie are here. I was, uh, their, their girls were in my youth group. I actually married their daughter. Uh, and their son-in-law, uh, actually, and so that's kind of a weird deal, but um, just, uh, they're a great family, glad to have them here, and, and glad to have the rest of you here. I do need to start off with a little bit of bad news, um, bad news for us, probably bad news for you guys, too, because that changes what's going to happen over the next few weeks. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that my wife and I were planning a trip, we were going to go over over. Uh, to, and do a Mediterranean cruise. We were going to go to Athens and, and Cyprus and uh, Ephesus and ultimately Rome and then ultimately end up uh, in, in Jerusalem. We were going to go to uh, Israel. Well, some things have happened there, and, and certainly I ask that you be praying for those folks over there, but as a result, we're going to be going on that trip, at least not this November. And so your hopes of having a three weeks of reprieve without me have fallen through. And so there's the bad news. So when, when you show up in November and I'm here and you're thinking, what's he doing here? Well, now, now you know. So, uh, but, but I look forward to being with you and studying and worshiping then. This is a really, really difficult passage. I've struggled with this a lot. I've read through this. I've prayed. Uh, I've looked at commentaries. I've asked other people to pray. But today we're going to try to tackle Mark 13. And as you open up Mark 13, and some of you are going to immediately begin reading, you're going to see they're like, okay, I totally get this. This is, this is a crazy, crazy passage. In fact, commentators will tell you as you're looking through the, the pretty short book of Mark, only 16 chapters, this is arguably the most difficult chapter. And so it's so, so important that we get a better understanding of what's going on. And so... This is going to be a weird kind of sermon this morning. It's going to be actually a bit, a little bit more like a class. In fact, it's, it's I'm getting so worked up, I'm going to have to take off my coat. We're, this is going to be one where you're going to have to be thinking a lot. I'm going to ask for you to, to really try to connect as well as you can. And, and I also want you to share a little bit too. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 13. But, but before we get into that, okay, I want to talk a little bit about how to study the Bible. Like I said, this is going to be more of a class than a sermon. But this is vitally important as you open up the Word of God. Is, is you have to get an understanding of what's going on here. So we're going to talk about some big words, some words that are funny sounding and a little hard to say and nearly impossible to spell correctly. But we're going to look at those. And the first word we're going to look at is this word exegesis. Okay? Exegesis literally means to, to draw out, okay? There's a couple things that you need to do when you're studying the Bible. First and foremost is you have to exegete the passage. The first time I heard this word exegesis, it was a long, long time ago. I think I was just starting my undergrad. I heard that. I literally thought that they said, the professor said, exit Jesus. It's actually just the opposite of that, okay? What you want to do is you want to, to draw out the text, and the, the question you have to ask is, what did it mean then and there? 
okay? That is so important. What we want to do more often is we want to go first to what does it mean for us right now? But you can't do that. If you want to read and understand the Bible, you have to get what's the word? The context. You have to know what's going on. Okay, and so it's important for us as we look through Mark 13, we're not going to cover it in its entirety. We're going to get a few verses, and I'd like to get through verse 13, and then I know you're super excited, hang tight, in class time, we're going to pick up in 14 and on, and we get to talk about this phrase, the abomination that causes desolation, because I know you're itching just what you have to hang around for class for that. But right now, we're just going to talk about the first few verses, but we have to get this idea of what exegesis is. What is happening then and there? Because we can't go and think about what does this mean for us without first determining what did it mean for them. And so there's a lot of different clues, a lot of different ways that we can look, what was going on culturally, what was going on politically, what was going on religiously, where were they, what was going on, and we're going to get some really good clues. Mark is going to help us out here. But we need to be thinking about this. Okay. Another one before we leave exegesis is there's one that's uh, the opposite. It's called eisegesis. And basically that is leading into the text. That means putting in what you want to have in there. This is what I think it means. And so now I'm going to find a scripture to back this up. This is really important stuff we have to know. There's a lot of eisegesis that can take place if we're not careful. In fact, later on in Mark, there's going to be this really weird uh uh, promise that Jesus is going to give, and he's going to talk about, the, I, this is crazy, okay, that that um, Jesus is going to talk about getting bit by a snake and drinking poison, right? And if you take Jesus, if you take, hey, I want to be a snake handler, okay, you can go and read that passage and say, I can get bit by a snake, and Jesus says, I'm okay. That's eisegesis. That's saying, this is what I want to come out of this text. So you have to be really careful. People start wars. They start fights. They have affairs. They do unfaithful things. And they say, you know what? The Bible says it's okay. And they're going to quote book, chapter, and verse. And they're going to they're quote the correct one. But they're going to completely pull it out of context. And so it's so, so important that we understand what was going on in then there. Okay, and so then that leads us to this next one. I love this word. If we can go to the next slide, is hermeneutics. I love this word. I don't know why. I think it just goes back to my childhood, and I love watching the Munsters. And it just I always imagine Herman Munster walking around. But her, a hermeneutics simply means, what does this mean for us here and now? Now, that's a good question. It's an appropriate question. It's a question that you must ask if you want to follow Jesus. But it has to be the second question. You can't ask from a text, what does this mean for me here and now, without first determining what did it mean then and there. Okay, this is so really important. We have to get here, but we can't skip the first step. Some of the information I'm sharing with you I've, is some, I've done in some different classes, but there's a book if you're interested in reading. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Uh, it's written by uh, Gordon Stewart, Gordon Fee, and Douglas Stewart. 
Uh, this has been around forever. I mean, you can tell my pages uh, are yellowed. This is like the second edition. I think they're on the fourth edition. My guess is that they probably sold about a half a million copies. Um, I'm going to warn you, there's some big words in here. Okay, like hermeneutics and exegesis, eisegesis. There's other words. There's no pictures. I'm not suggesting that this is an easy read, but if you want to be a student of the Bible, this can really help you out. It's, it's really good material. Uh, and they say in this book, I, I just love this. Um, this is important because uh, in, in reference to what does it mean here and now, let's go to this next slide. It says this, a text cannot mean what it, what it could never have meant for its original readers or hearers. Okay, I want to read that again and you can see it up on the screen. A text cannot mean what it could never have meant for its original readers and hearers. Okay, and so this is really important. Even when we want to apply the scripture to us, it can't mean something that it didn't mean for them. Okay, and so when Paul would write to the church in Philippi, and he's in prison, and he's had all sorts of external forces, and even some internal forces, he's struggling, do I live, do I die, what do I want to do? And ultimately, he says in chapter 4, verse 13, you better know this. What does he say? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Okay? Just, just so you know, when he wrote that to the church in Philippi, what he was not saying is that you can win the lottery. Okay? Now, I guess you could win the lottery, but that's not what he's saying. Because that's not what it meant for the original readers who were going through struggles. He's not talking about how to win an NBA ring. Right? He's not talking about how life will go perfectly for I can do all things. Right? He's talking specifically to a group of people in a context in which they are really struggling. They're being persecuted. Things are getting worse and worse for that young church in Philippi. Right? And so we have to remember, we can't take that out and say, this is what it means for me. And if it's so, if it's so far-fetched from what it meant for them there, that couldn't happen. And so as we look at this, it's important that we notice these few things. Exegesis and hermeneutics. Again, why am I spending so much time talking about these really weird big words? Because when you look at Mark 13, because it's so difficult, Oftentimes, people have looked at this and they start turning Mark 13 into mean something else that maybe it doesn't really mean at all. Right? So here we are. We're going to enter into uh, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. As you are aware from our previous weeks, we are in the Passion Week. Uh, we've already had uh, Jesus come in riding on a donkey right they hosanna in the highest he's he's cleansed the temple he's cursed the fig tree it is getting closer and closer and closer to his final hours and so think about that right there okay now listen to this as we pick up in verse one it says as jesus was leaving the somebody say this out loud okay so where are we we're, we're at the tip we're in jerusalem we're near the temple, okay? One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. So 
Um, I, I was excited about going to, to, to Jerusalem. I was looking forward to going there. I was going to go in and walk through the temple and see where the Holy of Holies... Wait, no, that's not right. I wasn't going to go to the temple. Why, why would I go all the way to Jerusalem and not go look at the temple? It's not there. But at that time, it was there. It was big. It was huge. It was massive. It was brilliant. King Herod had helped kind of restore it. They say it took somewhere between 40 to 60 years, depending on what scholar you're talking to. And there were some massive stones. Okay, just to give you an idea of how big, the largest stone there, okay, is about 44 feet long. It's about 11 feet high. And it weighs in somewhere, I mean, they didn't have a scale big enough to put it on, but somewhere around five to 600 tons. How big is 44 feet and 11 feet tall? That is about the size of a charter bus. I don't, a charter bus made completely out of stone. How they were able to carve this and move this, I have no idea. It is one of the largest stones known in the world this is one of the ones that still exists but it's not a part of the temple of course because those were all destroyed this is a part of that the the wailing wall the the western wall right and so they're looking at these huge stones in this beautiful magnificent temple that's just at at most a couple of decades old i mean it would be like us going to like one of the, the the empire state building and just staring up at it and saying, look how massive this is, how unbelievable this is. What a feat that this took to, to, to build. And they're looking at this, and they're saying, wow, that's a great... Just, just one, more, I, one more thing. I, I did a little bit more on, on how, how big a 500-ton stone is. Um, if you go look at the, the biggest stones that were used in the building of the Egyptian pyramids, that's somewhere, they think, between 15 to 20 tons, maybe 35 tons at the largest. So the largest stone here was more than 10 times bigger than, than the ones found in Egyptian pyramids. It's humongous. And so when you see something like that, you marvel at it. And you think, wow, like that is going to last forever don't lose that thought this is a big thing that we've got to hang on to what they look at the temple and they say this will last forever one because it's huge and magnificent and two why would this always last because it's God's house Even when Jesus was going through with a whip a few days before, what did he say? This is my father's house. And so everybody looks at this and they say, this will last forever. And Jesus says, do you see all these buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Okay, Think about this. What does that mean for a Jew standing in front of this newly constructed temple, this magnificent building, and some guy comes along, this carpenter from Nazareth, this homeless preacher 
looks at this building that took decades and decades to build, this temple, and he says, yeah, it's, it's going to be completely destroyed. This is offensive. This is ludicrous. This is absolute. This guy is crazy. This guy is blasphemous to say that the house of God is just going to be destroyed. And so the the apostles were listening, and they have to be thinking, "Wow." And so their next question is going to be, "When?" Okay, so now listen, this is really important. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Mark was, he wanted to make sure that detail was included. He says, to Peter, James, and John, they asked him privately, he, they said, tell us, when will these things happen? What things? What did Jesus just talked about? The temple being destroyed. Where were they sitting? Across from the temple. This is really important because we have a lot of people who are about to pull out what Jesus says and say, oh, this is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus has just been talking about the temple. Mark says that they're sitting down looking at the temple and now Peter, James, and John says, when are these things, the destruction of the temple, the stones being toppled over, when are these specific things going to happen? And what will be the sign that it is to be fulfilled? Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he, and he will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. This is all the beginning of birth pains. Okay, what have they just been talking about? The destruction of the temple. What are they looking at? The temple. What did they ask about? The temple. And for some reason, we have lots of people who read this and say, oh, clearly, Jesus is talking about end times. Why would Jesus just flip the switch? Why would he answer a question he wasn't asked? Why would he start talking about something that had nothing to do with them? It's so important for us to remember what the original author was saying and who he was saying it to. He was talking specifically to Peter and James and John who had pulled him aside and asked him privately about this whole idea of the temple being destroyed and when it was going to happen. Now listen to this. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all generations. Excuse me. And the gospel must be first preached to all nations. 
That's, that's, that was a big mistake. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just whatever is given to you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. The first thing I want us to notice is the use of the pronoun you. This is actually found five different times in this short little passage. Who is you? The ones he's talking to? Is, it, do, is this what we believe? Okay, I, I want to be careful here. Because I'm not saying that the Bible is not important and not useful. But I think we also, first, before we can say, what does this mean for me? We have to say, what did it mean for them right there? Jesus is talking to three people who had pulled him aside and asked him privately. And this is what he's saying to them. And you're saying, whoa, whoa, whoa that ain't right. Because you're saying that like the Holy Spirit won't be here with me when I need help. I'm not saying that that's not true at all. Jesus is talking specifically to these people. And you could say, well, how do you know that? Well, I kind of have a, an idea about this based on the fact that I don't know about you, but I can speak about me. I haven't been arrested and gone to trial for Jesus. I'm not going to tell you about any other... No, no, that's not a part of that. How many of you have been arrested for following Jesus? So this is a weird deal. If you say Jesus is speaking specifically to you in your context, that he says that, oh, this is, he's talking to me. Well, it gets a little weird. It's kind of a head scratcher when he says you are going to be put on trial. I don't think he's speaking directly to us. Now, does that mean that we tear Mark 13 out? No, no, no. I think there's something we get from this, but I don't think we, what we really get is he's talking specifically to you in Hobbes. And, and, and if so, if it applies to you, then it probably means it didn't apply to the three people he was sitting down in front of talking to. It's really important to get this. But then it gets even worse. He says, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Listen to this. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. It is about to get terribly, terribly horrible. For those who choose to follow Jesus. And as we look in the next 30, 40 years, after there's been wars and there's been famines and there's been earthquakes, all that have been documented, then we're going to have the destruction of the temple. And we'll talk later on about this. I don't want to say anything yet because I know you're waiting for class. But this is what's happening right now in the first century. And so all of you are saying, okay, that's good but it means nothing to me. Okay, I'm going to walk out of here, I'm going to go get my lunch, and Mark 13 doesn't apply to me at all. I don't think that's true at all. Just because he wasn't speaking directly to us, I think there's a few things that we can glean from this, and I want to share these just in the last couple of minutes. The first thing is this. What you think is mighty and powerful and permanent is not. 
the things that we think that are so important, that are of this world, what our eyes see and what our ears hear, like those things that seem, oh, that's, this, is so, this will never happen and that will never happen. It will. And the things that seem permanent are temporary. And I shared this a few weeks ago. Folks, that's not bad news. That's not bad news. That's really, really good news. But what you think is mighty powerful and permanent is not. And he says this, and I think this applies to us too. You'll face hardship. Now, I don't know about it. It's going to be your brother will betray you. I don't know if the, your, your child is going to turn you in and you're going to be executed because of that. But I think you can expect, especially in the coming years, and for you younger guys... I think you can expect there's going to be more hardship, specifically because you believe in a risen carpenter from Nazareth. When you tell stories in school, when you tell people, I believe in Jesus, they're going to say that's a lie, it's a myth, and you're being fooled, and you're an idiot. That's what they're going to say. I believe we can expect hardships. Not everything that we think is mighty and powerful and permanent will last. You're going to face hardships. And then he says this, but the Lord's with you. And I don't know exactly how that's going to look. That may mean that he delivers you. That may, may mean that he just sits with you in that storm. But he's with you. And then I think we, we can ascertain this from Mark 13. Don't give up. Don't give up. The Lord's with you. And you're going to face hardship, but the Lord's with you. Don't give up. All the things that you think are important, that are mighty and powerful, they're going to pass. You're going to have hardship, but the Lord's with you and don't give up. And then the last thing is this, and I think this is what I just want to end with today. I want you to really allow this to sink in. Don't give up. Jesus saves. And I think this is what we can pull from Mark 13. Now we can sit around and we can talk about wars and famines and when is this happening and when is that happening. We don't know that. In fact, Jesus is going to say, not even the Son of Man knows when this is going to happen. So if you're sitting around with your little color-coded sheet trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back, it's a waste of time. But here's the good thing. He is coming back and He's coming back for you. He's coming back for you. Not because you're good not because you're perfect, not because you're sitting here on Sunday, because He loved you and He gave up everything. He died for you. And as a result, we are saved because of it. And now we can read Mark 13 and you can scratch your head or you can look at it and say, oh, this is horrible. Or you can say, hey, don't forget, Jesus saves and so no matter what's going on in your life, your heartache, your hardship, your trouble, the things that you thought would last haven't lasted, maybe you're, you're struggling with where you are, maybe you're struggling with where God is. I just want you to be reminded God is with you. Don't give up. And He shows you. And for that, we can rejoice and we can sing. And so this morning we're going to offer an invitation, and, and that is simply this. Just Trust God and obey Him. He's coming back for us. Please join me this morning as we stand and sing.